You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for being with us here on NapaBroadcasting.com. No one has argued more that Napa should be a world-class city than I have. Of course, the downside of that is that being a world-class city sometimes brings with it world-class problems, and some of those involve law enforcement. Lately, there have been a number of issues that the Napa PD has had to deal with, including two officer-involved shootings, a hazing incident at Napa High, the ongoing immigration issue, and of course, how Napa will deal with Prop 64. Joining me to talk about all of this and more is Napa Police Chief Steve Potter. Chief, thanks so much for coming in. It's good to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me back. It's good to have you, and uh, it's been a busy time for you lately. We were just talking uh, a little bit before we went on the air that uh, it's been extremely busy in your department. Yeah, I would say the last uh, four or five months have been very... uh, level has jumped way up so you've been here i mean even before you achieve you've obviously been here in napa a long time forever actually you're yeah. born here talk a little bit about how you've seen it changed how that's affected how law enforcement deals with napa i, I would say the law enforcement across the united states as well as uh, california and locally here has changed immensely through the years there's a higher degree of professionalism, the community expectations are much higher, the uh, council expectations I think are set at a very good level, they mirror those of the community. So we really try to give the council and the community what they want out of a police department. There's also the way in which things that happen here, and we'll talk about some of them in a few moments, for example, the officer-involved shootings or immigration or any of these issues that I want to talk to you about, that, that people see them now in the context of the larger statewide and national framework. They're not looking at them as just local issues anymore. That's correct. There's a, a lot of focus on what's going out on out there in the world now, across the country, here in California, and how it all relates to each other. And, and I have to imagine that, that particularly with regard to some issues, that that's kind of a detriment because the individual incidents that happen here are generally specific to something that's happened locally, but people start to see them in the context of what they're seeing on the news all the time. True. I would say that all of us here in Napa are very fortunate that we live in such a supportive and giving and secure community. And it's really the citizens of Napa and the visitors here who keep it that way. They work closely with us. They help us. They support us. And that keeps everything in perspective for the officers. And it keeps us going in the direction that that we really need to to, to have the quality of life in this community that everybody would like to have. How aware are you and and your staff of the visitor nature of Napa now, that it is so visitor-centric? And that's really an issue. What's going on here is an issue with respect to people deciding to come here. So we we see a tremendous change in the downtown area and around the hotels and as far down as Corporate Park. But I will say that as a department, a couple years ago, we made a choice to move to a neighborhood-based policing model. So we divided the city up into 26 distinct uh, identified neighborhoods, and then we try to customize our service to those neighborhoods for the residents of Napa because we know that different areas of town have different expectations, different wants, different needs than others. Browns Valley is much different than the Imola area. Springwood is much different than Old Town. So to try to provide a service across the board uh, eat one service, one model, and force it out onto everybody, you're going to leave people behind. 
How do you train for that? We do a lot of talking. We get our officers involved in community events. We we did a lot of uh, community meetings. Uh, it would have been nice to see a lot more people come to those, but we did outreach. We usually met at schools, and we have the officers meet directly with the uh, the residents and command staff. Management is there also, so a lot of it's word of mouth. Uh, but it's it's. It's really creating one Napa. It's it's a combination or a joint effort by the citizens as well as the department to uh, get the message across and serve the community. We don't want to be just a, a group, an occupying force that comes. Mm-hmm. We live out of town. We come to town. We do our job. We leave. That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for are officers who want to be engaged who treat people with dignity and respect, and we provide the service that the uh, community here really wants. Talk about the the seeming contradiction in that. In on the one hand, there's this idea of one Napa that you're talking about, and and I know you've talked about that before. On the other hand, because every community, every neighborhood is different, there is a different degree of of service, or certainly a different degree of how you deal with issues perhaps in Browns Valley versus in Westwood versus somewhere else, versus downtown, for example. So we understand they're, they're all distinctly different, but at the same time, in the core, people are, uh, in, in their own personal values, the core, uh, people are very much alike. So we, we try to appeal to the different wants and needs. It's uh, pretty clear. All you have to do is walk around town, talk to people, go to the grocery store, right. and, and you'll understand very quickly what the the residents here in Napa expect from their their community, the elected officials, as well as uh, an appointed chief of police or the officers here. What percentage of your officers live in Napa as opposed to outside of the community? I, I am not sure what the number is right now, but it's over 50% live here locally. Mm-hmm. We, we focus on local hires. As you know, the housing market here is rather difficult. Uh, we have people from out of town filling all different jobs in the department, whether it's dispatcher, records clerk, community service officer, or police officer. They come in from other areas. They see the housing cost, and, and they get sticker shock. <laughs> so by by focusing local or people with local ties, they either have relatives they can live with or they understand what the cost of living is here. Mm-hmm. Does that impact the the work that they do, the fact that some of them live here, some of them don't? Some of them obviously have a better understanding of the community because of that? I think the culture of the organization is pretty strong in a service-oriented manner, and I think that the it, that gets passed on through our initial training program with the officers. They pick up on it really quickly. We also do a tremendous amount of screening, uh, getting into the job, and we our focus is always to hire the right people for the job. We looked at it years ago. We got a little short in our staffing, and we could have hired folks to fill those positions, but we knew that if if we, if our focus was only to fill positions, then we were going to sacrifice the quality employees who are out there, potential employees that we could attract. People like to work here. It's a great place. Mm-hmm. Are you fully staffed at the moment in terms of officers? We're, we're down a couple. We have a couple of vacancies right now, and uh, I also have some people off on uh, medical leaves. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're down a little bit. We are hoping that city council will increase our staffing levels. Uh, 
this year through the budget process. It looks like that uh, could happen. If that does, that'll get us back to where we were at in 2008. Right. And, and how much do you want to see the staffing in an ideal world? How much should the staffing levels be increased? There are different formulas and there's different needs out there. So there's some people who look at uh, either a 1.5 officer or two per thousand. That's uh, one mechanism. The other is you look at call volume, you look at dedicated uh, time or available time for service and you make your adjustment on that. We have always tried to focus on uh, efficiencies in our business. So that's why Back in the 1990s, Dan Menez, who was chief at the time, put the community service officer position into mm-hmm. place. We also had part-time retired officers who answered telephone calls for service mm-hmm. and tried to help people. What we're, what we're doing is we're freeing up time for the more expensive, more highly trained officers instead of being uh, dispatched to lower-end calls for service. We're saving those them for the area that is more appropriate or they're, they're trained to handle. So mm-hmm. so to come up with a formula, pretty difficult to do. There's different uh, beliefs. Uh, most of your labor groups, they have one belief. Some of your <laughs> management groups, they have another. Uh, your citizens, what they like is when they call 911, they want to have an officer there right away. It, within seconds. Within seconds. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the desire. Talk a little bit about one of the things that's certainly been keeping you busy, and it's impossible not to to be aware of what went on here in the past few weeks. These two officer-involved shootings, both of them completely unrelated to each other, but oddly enough, both of them happening within the same relatively short period of time. Yeah, it's it's just – it's – a tragic event for the employees or for the individuals to go through. Anytime a, li- a life is lost, we consider that a, a tragedy. But the, there's also the effect of family members, the coworkers from both sides, the officer as well as the individuals that are there. The uh, As far as commenting, I really can't comment on those right now because they're both still under uh, investigation. The first incident down in South Napa Marketplace, the lead agency is the Napa Sheriff's Department because they did not have any employees that were involved in that. Mm-hmm. The second in- incident that happened out in West Napa over on Bueno Street, the lead agency is the Napa County District Attorney's Office uh, because there were members of the Napa Sheriff's Department who were involved as, as well. So I can't comment on that, but I would comment on, you know, in the state of California right now, the mental health system is grossly underfunded, and it would be really nice to see uh, more dollars spent in that area. Uh, there are people that maybe we could have gotten to before these type events took place. Uh, the uh, drug issues that are out there in the world post Prop 47, that's really changed the landscape as well. Uh, All those areas would be, there's some serious looks that need to be taken at those different areas and and find out a a better way of serving people. Uh, Sending cops to calls is not always the answer. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the process that is going on now. You mentioned that the Sheriff's Department is the lead agency in one, the District Attorney's Office in the other. A little bit about how the process works, both in terms of just the general overlay as well as how it impacts those officers that were involved. Sure. So the investigations that are done are done as a criminal investigation to see if the taking of that life or the discharging of the weapon was justifiable or not. If it's deemed to be justifiable, then uh, 
uh, that process, the criminal process, comes to an end. If it's not justified, then it's then it goes to it could potentially be criminal charges filed. At the same time, you have an administrative process that's taken place that we do internally ourselves. And what we're looking at, we have uninvolved people who investigate it, and they're looking for policy uh, that the that if the employees followed policy mm-hmm. and training. And then the third process that picks up at some point is the civil suit that uh, in- inevitably follows at some point. So there's multiple processes going on at one time there. And, and to what extent do they overlap? To what extent, for example, is the internal process going on in your department? To what extent does that interface with either the DA's office or the sheriff's department with respect to these investigations? So there is some information sharing that can take place from the criminal investigator to the administrative, but there, the administrative cannot provide information so that there's no bias there toward mm-hmm. the criminal investigation. Uh, they, they run parallel, but they're separate, and the employees are usually from, uh, as far as our agency works. The employees are from separate agencies, and we keep as much separation as possible. We need a credible. Mm-hmm. Your criminal it needs to be credible. Your administration needs, administrative needs to be credible. So we keep a very fine, defined line between the two mm-hmm. so that there's not uh, an overlap issue right. there. I, I understand, you know, you can't comment on a lot of this. With respect to, to what happened on Bueno Street over in West Napa, it seemed like there were so many people involved in that from just the reports that have been in the press so far, so many officers that were involved. Talk about whether that w- was the normal course of events. Was there something unique in, about this? So that incident was predicated by several calls for service about the resident to our uh, agency for over a couple-day period. Uh, the Shortly before the officers were involved in the shooting, uh, that subject, that male, ended up shooting at a very nice lady who was visiting a right. family member there. Um, and then the rest, the officers that were there, were there because they responded to that male subject chasing and shooting at that woman. Mm-hmm. And was that an unusually large number of, of officers that were on that scene because of what had transpired previous I think on the, that day? Uh, I would say that. Uh, the number of officers there was because of the time of day mm-hmm. there were more officers working uh, it was the hour a day and there were also people there from the sheriff's department as well that's what brings the numbers up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we typically run uh, maybe five or six officers at a time that 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 time of day out on the street so we had school resource officers as well as other uh, people uh, traffic officers who responded in as well which uh, one of the other things i wanted to touch on that incident happened relatively near a school west park elementary talk a little bit about what goes on in in that situation was there a lockdown there or how how does that how is that dealt with yeah we we notify the schools uh if we don't notify them they're very good about calling us they have very sound uh, policies in place the question, it's we try to lock down the schools as soon as possible. In that case, we were a block away from the school. Right. So that school was locked down until after the regular release time for the students, which then creates a lot of stress for parents wow. because they want to get in and get their kids and make sure that they're, you know, they want to hug them and they want to love them. Uh, and so we try to 
facilitate that as soon as possible, but at the same time, we need the situation to be stabilized and safe for everybody. Talk a little bit about, in a general sense, the stress in that kind of situation, because that really was, if not literally, a kind of perfect storm situation. I mean, you had an incident that was was very intense. You had a lot of officers involved, as we were just talking about. It was a block away from a school. I mean, there were a lot of things going on. Tremendous amount of acute stress took place on that incident, and I am I, I, I'm waiting for the f- finalized, finished report to come out from the DA's office so that we have all of the details. I've given you kind of a, a thumbnail scrape mm-hmm. of the top of this at this point, but the officers, they went through a very stressful period. The neighbors went through a very stressful period. So the officers, they get put on administrative leave for a minimum of three days, and then they go through an interview process for the criminal in the administrative, and then we send them to our EAP provider uh, to talk about the incident and make sure that they're ready to come back into the workplace, that they're released to come back. We also make arrangements, in this case, to have the chaplains, the public safety chaplains go out, and they contacted the neighbors and provided support and service there. Uh, the the woman who was shot at initially, I talked to her on the phone the other day, and I connected her with some services as well. And I know the district attorney's victim services unit is helping out in that as well. So um, that's the immediate people. The other thing it does is, and I think you remember this from a couple years ago as we had a couple incidents that took place that are non-typical for Napa, and that creates a lot of uh, heightened stress in the community. Uh, this case, I had a lot of people asking and, and seeing comments of what's going on in Napa. This is so untypical, non-typical for a place like this. And it is, and it creates stress through the entire community. Um, people are looking for answers. They want to know. Uh, I would love if we could do a uh, investigation into these matters, a thorough, complete, in-depth uh, fact-finding and have it churned out in an hour like they do on television. <laughs> but unfortunately, that's not the way that reality works. So we have to wait. And with that waiting, anxiety builds. It builds for the officers. It builds for their families. It builds for the community members. Uh, it just uh, – we always prefer that they don't happen. Right. That's it. But this gets back to the point that we were talking about earlier, whereas people see this in the context of something larger than just – what happened on that street in Napa. They see it in the context of what's going on in the country and other stories that they've read about or seen on television with respect to officer-involved shootings, and that creates a whole different series of problems, and that that encourages some of the stress. That, that does. It feeds into it, and again, I'll say that I'll go back to that we're very fortunate to live in a community that's as supportive as the the city of Napa is, the the people here. We do a lot of outreach. We contact with folks. We want people to know that we're human beings just like they are. We want them to know that we're here to support them and to help them. And I think that when you get to know other individuals, it's easy to uh, dislike somebody that you don't know. It's hard to dislike somebody that you do know. So by us being out and contacting folks, I think that there's a, a higher level of trust with the police department here. And uh, we work hard to make sure that we take care of issues inside the department when they arise, that we treat people respectfully and 
uh, support their constitutional rights and that we're here for them. And I think that when you see an incident like this come up, then people understand who we are. How do you deal with, you personally and, and, and what you hear from your officers, how do you deal with the fact that there are comments and criticism that comes out there, and you were talking about you know, some of the comments, that there are people that are always taking the position, the police must have done something wrong, that, that, that that's sort of their default position? That, Ed, there are those folks who are out there. I'm very happy to talk to, to any of them. I've had people <laughs> come into my office and, and we discuss uh, what's going on. They're, they can also sign up for the Citizen Academy through the city of Napa. There's a presentation that's put on by the police department, most of the, as well as the other departments. Most of the people, when they're done with that program, have a much better understanding of what we do and why we do it. Um, I think that, uh, anyway, I, I think that being involved and talking uh, really helps. And there are those that are never going to be happy. They're never going right. to understand. But... Um, sometimes this is a tough job and we understand that there's people that who have opinions and they're allowed to have opinions and <laughs> I live with that. I want to ask you about something else that uh, you probably can't talk very much about maybe even less than this and that is this ongoing investigation with respect to the hazing incident at Napa High. Uh, with the football team. With the football yeah. team, right. That is, yeah, I. that's a juvenile matter and there's some um, uh, there's state laws that protect the the victims in that case as well as the other juveniles who are involved. Right. So uh, without a superior court judge ordering us to talk about right. it, we really can't disclose right. Well, I, I guess the question then, is the investigation still ongoing? Or is it, or is it, is it finished? Is it still going on? What, what is the status of it? So the right now, that investigation is at the district attorney's office for review. Uh, there is a recommendation for court action in that, but the DA's office will review it very thoroughly, and then they will either return it to us for further follow-up, or they will make a decision as to what route to take after that. So your department has finished its fir its first phase, its initial phase of the investigation yes. at this point. Yes. So you're, you're just waiting to hear where it goes from the DA's office at this yes. point. Okay. Another, there's all these hot button issues these yeah. days. It's, it's there's crazy. a lot going on in the world right now. There is, and, and certainly one of the things that's going on, and there was just a forum about this the other night with a number of our uh, elected leaders here, in fact, it was here uh, on the college campus, about the whole issue of immigration. And there was this incident that took place with uh, some ICE officers up in Calistoga, uh, some concern as to what was said, how they portrayed themselves, and some conflict between law enforcement and ICE. Talk a little bit about how you see this at this point. The immigration issue has, uh, it really got a spotlight put on it after November, after the elections. But if you remember back a few years ago, the May Day marches and in the large cities, there was a, there was a lot of concern at that point about the, that president at that time having deported more people than anybody, any other president in the history of the United States. November happens, there's comments made the stress level amped up at that point. Um, it is, it, it, I deal with that probably on a daily basis. And we have, anytime a family member doesn't come home of, of a uh, family that's here either illegally overstayed their visa, 
uh, whatever they did, the, the assumption is, is that they've been picked up by ICE and they're being deported. So that creates a tremendous amount of stress. In some cases, we find out that the family member moved on to a different relationship. Uh, in some cases, we find out that ICE had actually picked somebody up and, and deported them. So Sheriff Robertson went down a few weeks ago and he talked to ICE and tried to come to an agreement because we were spending a great deal of time and effort on trying to locate people who may or may not have been deported. And there was an agreement reached that they would call us and tell us if they had deported somebody and who that person was after they had returned back to, to San Francisco. So that's helped calm some of it down a little bit because we can at least let family members know uh, if the person was deported or not. But the other part, and you brought it up, is the ICE coming into town and they wear shirts that say ice and then they say police on them uh, they go to the door at the houses and what we're being told is they're they're using a ruse to try to either gain entry or get the people to open the door so that they can talk to them uh, there's a there's a sense of fairness out there in the world that people are believing is being viol violated uh, so that creates a lot of anxiety too we had one after calistoga here in napa where there were questions asked about uh, vehicle that that they wanted to talk to and uh, anyway it's a it's a challenging time and it's a very emotional issue we meet regularly with the members of the Latino community there are uh, representatives from the federal state and local elected officials who attend that as well and we try to discuss through issues so that we don't have uh, as much stress you have kids who won't go to school now because they're afraid right. that their parents will be <laughs> deported. You have family members who are leaving town. You have an effect on the entire community. So we try to do what we can to keep peace and calm uh, here and reassure people that uh, things that everything is okay. Does ICE have any obligation to keep local law enforcement, either your department or the sheriff's department, informed of any actions that either they take or that they're going to take? No, they do not have an obligation, and there is not a mechanism that's in place that we can keep ICE out of Napa either. Even a declaration of a sanctuary city Which was does, my next question. Yeah, does not prevent them from coming into Napa. Mm -hmm. That's a challenge that we have because a lot of people would like to see that. Uh, that's an emotional need, fulfillment of a need. Uh, I understand that, but that builds an expectation and then that expectation, if ICE comes in, and then they leave with somebody, they're not here for the family or the community to talk to. We are. And then the question is, as well, if we declared Sanctuary City, why aren't we protecting the uh, people? So, What effect does this have in terms of degrading the trust that your department and or the Sheriff's Department has built up with the Latino community? It, it has a tremendous effect. And even if without incidents, there's always uh, speculation, skepticism that maybe we're going to start working with ICE, maybe we're going to start doing uh, immigration enforcement. That's not a, a direction that I want to go at all and have no plan on going that direction. But uh, it, it people start reacting differently. We try to have community meetings. We have community events. There's a large portion of this community that doesn't participate. And it could be, and, and 
it's not just people who are here uh, illegally or overstate their visas who are worried. It's their family members and re- other relatives that won't participate or won't engage in the conversation. The other thing that we have is is the underreporting of some crimes in some cities in mm-hmm. California now because people are afraid that if they report it, their name goes into a database and that ICE might come and pick them up. So it has, it has a negative effect. I know not everybody shares with my opinion on this mm-hmm. issue, but I think that for a healthy, thriving community to exist, we need to, to have calm and and people need to be be able to go about their daily business. To what degree is there an immigration check or anything in, in that regard when somebody gets picked up for some other reason? So we don't check. At, we have policies that we don't check and we don't ask uh, immigration status. The jail, which is run by the county, does take fingerprints and and they Mm -hmm. submit fingerprints through their regular channels, but there's not a a direct link to ICE. And Mm -hmm. I would really think that it would be more appropriate to talk to the county about their processes Mm -hmm. on that, but... um, But it's not something that the city, that your department checks. Correct. We don't. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the degree to which this problem has any kind of solution? I don't, I don't mean the immigration problem, but I mean, again, the trust problem and, and how you're dealing with that. Uh, the trust is, it's a, it's a daily effort. And it's not just a police chief and it's not two officers. It's an entire department. It's an entire city. It's an entire community. It, that's what has to take place to keep that trust level there. We have to be a portion of it, but, but people... It's just like feeling safe about crime in your community. It's not just having seeing a police car drive by. It's that sense of uh, the the lighting, the street condition, the people who live in your neighborhood, your ability to interact with other people, your ability to go to the store, not get into accidents. It's much bigger than just Mm -hmm. a police department working on change subjects for a minute and since we're doing this uh, conversation people will listen to it I'm sure but, has, but since we're doing it on 420 yeah. I can't help but ask you about prop 64 and how your department is looking at those possibilities uh, going forward it, it's it's going to be an interesting time you know you have uh, more tasting rooms in downtown you have breweries that want to come in you have uh, people who want to open up retail establishments or cafes to to smoke, you have a, a proposal out there in one of the government uh, levels that they want to uh, increase the hours of an alcohol establishment being open instead of 2 a.m. Right. to 4 a.m. Right. So when is enough enough? That's that's <clears throat> the big issue for me. Um, the marijuana, it, you know, we've had the medicinal marijuana, the Compassionate uh, Act in place for many years, and the city is working forward with. Uh, they're going to have discussion in May, coming up here pretty soon, right. about the possibility of dispensaries. And then the question becomes, what about retail establishments as well? Uh, there's Unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there right now who believe that they can say, do anything they want with marijuana commercially. And that part hasn't come into play yet. That hasn't uh, gone into effect. So people need to be careful. Um, Anyway, it's talk a little bit about what the state of the law is now today. As you, the the possession Mm -hmm. is is 
pretty much okay to do. It's the commercial aspect of it, mm-hmm. the sale, the transportation, all that you, people need to be careful of. And uh, the it's had a impact. We've worked with the juvenile justice system as well because the punishment for possession, possession of the school grounds at this point is education and community service. Uh, and so we're trying to build a process in place of who's going to provide that education and who's going to, to monitor that community service. Um, it's uh, th- There's a lot up in the air right now that just really hasn't been nailed down. We have people, I have people who talk to me when I'm in the grocery store and they want to know about opening up a cafe and, you know, nobody else has thought about this, but I want to do this and what do you think? And it's like, well, go to the planning department and support or uh, submit your plans and let's see where where things go. So There's been a lot of talk, as you alluded to, about uh, some kind of medical dispensary here in Napa. Where do where do you stand on that? Where do I stand? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, uh, under the original uh, belief of what the dispensaries were supposed to be for, that was for really significant illnesses or injuries. I, I have no problem with people getting marijuana as a medicine. Uh, when it gets extended out to some of the areas that we've seen people get cards for, it's, it's there's some abuse there by some doctors and uh, to what level, I don't know that anybody's ever studied that. But uh, the other problem that we have, and, and there's some uh, youth groups out there who have in Napa County who have done some really good work on uh, looking into the effects of marijuana on the developing brain. And and depending on who you talk to, right. what study that you see, the brain keeps developing up to the age of you know 21 or 23 or 25, depending on the, the survey. So that's a concern for us. Uh, the legalization, does it, uh, is there a diversion that might take place? Uh, so I recently went with Doris Gentry down to one of the dispensaries down in Vallejo. I was really looking at what, is it, what are the security mechanisms that they put in place because you have the potential that's it's largely a cash product, uh, cash business. So you have the potential for a theft to take place or a robbery to take place you have potential for diversion instead of the patient getting it gets passed off to somebody else. You have the potential for employees to divert it out the back door. So what kind of security mechanisms should we be requiring? And I really think a, a seed to sale tracking mm-hmm. of the product is important to have. Like in Colorado, for yeah. example. And uh, there's there's models that are out there, and there are some dispensaries in California that do an extremely good job uh, they're they're reputable. Then again, there's some other ones that I've heard about in cities that are questionable. So I would hope that in the city of Napa, we'd really be, if we go the direction of a dispensary, that we put a very reputable vendor in place. And finally, talk a little bit about what, if anything, you would like to see. What does your department need from the city? What could the city do to help your department? I think the the council has been incredibly supportive of us. And even if there are good times and our bad times, <laughs> uh, we have a very stable council. It's uh, very good, very supportive. Uh, Mike Parness is very supportive of us, of us as well. Uh, we, we get what we need. We have some interesting things out on the horizon as mm-hmm. the development along Soskal Avenue takes place and they put in the the new apartment complex mm-hmm. is there. If Napa Pipe develops and there's some talk about a large sports complex at Kennedy Park, 
that could all have a huge change to our deployment plan could create that the uh, the downtown when you look at the number of hotel rooms that are proposed down there you look, you look at the businesses that are coming in and the tourist trade all that has an effect on on how we're going to do business and and quite frankly cops are very expensive their uh, supply and demand is something else in california but the the benefit package that goes along with it so how do we do business smarter and i think that the community and the council have always supported us when we look at alternative ways to provide the service so that we can continue with the uniform officers providing the highest level possible and if if all of those projects happen i mean clearly there'll be a need for for more officers it would seem that that's that's my belief yeah thank you (laughs) napa police chief steve potter thank you so much for coming in thank you jeff appreciate it thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.